Welcome to The Blind Spot, a podcast where we explore human instinctual drives through the lens of the Enneagram, nonviolent communication, and resonant healing with personal stories from individuals living real human lives. My name is Karen Nance, self-pres, social, sexual blind, three-wing two, with 371 trifix, and ENTP cognitive preferences. I hope you enjoy these stories. Welcome to The Blind Spot. Today is a very exciting episode for me because I get to introduce you to one of my closest friends and colleagues, Denzel Mensa. And Denzel lives in Atlanta, and he is a life, personal development, and relationship coach that I met through my Myers-Briggs personality hacker trainings, and he is a MBTI Jedi. So I have been listening to his podcast and YouTube channel, and I will make sure that I have all this in the show notes. Uh, Denzel is also an aspiring actor, so I think that you'll find his YouTube videos really fun to watch because he brings all of that creativity and innovation and really talks about type and relationships and life in a way that I find to be incredibly refreshing. And the reason that I want to make sure that everybody meets Denzel is that we are actually in the works of taking on a project where we want to test out some of the theories that we are working with around Myers-Briggs typology, Enneagram typology, and instinctual stack, and start working with couples. And we're going to use that term couple somewhat loosely, where this could be people who aren't married to each other, people who are in partnership, uh, people who practice polyamory and want to bring one or more of the relationships that they have into the room, and even people within family dynamics, like the nuclear family Uh, extended family, and even the workplace. So if you have a relationship in your life where it is challenging for you and you want to have a little bit more insight into what might be going on within your own programming around typology or your partner's programming, we're willing to meet with either just you or if you're willing to bring your partner on board, we're willing to meet with both of you and actually workshop whatever the issue is on the podcast so that everybody can learn. So if this interests you, we will have the information in the show notes about how you can reach out to become one of our first couples that we are going to be highlighting. And without further ado, I just want to allow Denzel to say hello, introduce himself. And then this is going to be an interview where I just go through Denzel's typology and ask him a little bit about how he experiences it and gives all of my listeners a chance to know this very special colleague and friend. Hi, Denzel. (laughs) Hello, Kara. That was actually a magnificent introduction. Um, and I don't really know what more to add. I mean, I guess the only thing I will add is that, yeah, I identify as an ENFJ, nine wing one, social sexual instincts. Um, I always say that I relate to the not to the social nine, 150%. And the sexual nine, a hundred percent. So those instinctuals, uh, those instincts, like, uh, like when I read both descriptions of them, I'm like, I very much resonate with both of them. And it's funny because for the first few years, uh, when I learned about Enneagram, like I, uh, always thought that I was an Enneagram two, a social mm-hmm. two, but I thought I was a very healthy two. So like there was a lot of aspects of two that I just didn't really relate to, um, and I was like, oh, you know, maybe I've just done a lot of work on myself and I'm just whatever. And then I ended up getting profiled um, officially by someone a few years ago. And she was like, yeah, no, you're actually a nine. And I never considered nine before. But then when I uh, read about the social nine, because um, I'd always just saw self-preservation nine um, descriptions. And I was like, nah, nah not really. Um, so that's definitely my repressed instinct. But when I read the social nine, I was like, oh, wow. And I literally said out loud, like, okay, I'm pathetic. <laughs> so I guess, I guess this, this definitely proves that this is the right um, Enneagram type. And then, you know, read the sexual nine. I was like, this is crazy. Um, and yeah, all of a sudden I realized like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a horrible version of my type, but I'm definitely not nearly as developed as I thought I was when I thought I was a two. So started work on that. Um, and I realized also how much work in my Myers-Briggs type as an ENFJ, developing my introverted intuition, which 
then would allow, you know, a lot of that food to fall to the floor for the dog to eat. My introverted thinking um, that made a well-rounded kind of like ecosystem for my cognitive functions. And that development helped a lot with my Enneagram development as well. So yeah, I'm still on the journey, uh, just like everyone else, but uh, it's been fun continuing to explore and learn about myself, especially as a nine who is prone to psychological laziness. It's like, I try to really go against that and learn as much about myself as possible so that I can foster intimacy with people that I really deeply appreciate, such as yourself. Mm, thank you. There's a few things that you said there that I just want to highlight for listeners because I think it's really important. The first thing is that if you're reading about your type and there are things that you're not vibing with and you're saying, oh, I'm just a very healthy version of that type, I think that that's one of the number one signs that, yeah, your ego ideal is like latching onto something that may or may not be you. I think that one of the things about the Enneagram is that when you actually land on your type, and you actually start to identify with the pain of the subtype that you identify with, that you have that feeling of like, wow, I'm pathetic. Or you could have a wide variety of emotional reactions, but they tend not to be positive. The only type that I think is like, yes, you know, that really are happy about their type is, which type would you guess? Sevens, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And why do you think that is? Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with me. Everybody loves me. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and like we do love our sevens. Sevens are great, but um, yeah, why why do you think that is? And what do you think it is that gets sevens to actually start connecting with the discomfort of being a seven? Because that really is where I think the growth edge for a seven starts is when Mm -hmm. they can see that being a seven is not always great for them. What have you noticed in the sevens that you work with? What kind of starts them with that willingness to do that painful part of inner work, which is actually looking at the parts of ourselves that are in our shadow that we may be fleeing from as point seven. Yeah. I think that once everybody else around them starts to see their shadow before they do, that's when they really start to like, are like okay whoa because now everyone around them like the seven is like laughing like hey come on guys like you know whatever but everyone around them is like dude you you have some work to do like are you sure you're okay we don't think that you're okay like, yeah no i'm fine stop stop trying to like you know care about me let's have fun let's drink let's do whatever like and eventually it's like the people around them like kind of push them out of care to like look into themselves and you know, you can't be the fun person anymore if there's darkness surrounding you and mm. it's bleeding out so much into your social systems that now it's like, hey, if you want to be the fun person, you got to you got to handle that first. And it's over. It's come so much out of the bucket. It's overflowed so much that now the seven is unable to keep it back. and then it just forces them to have to do that work and go into themselves. And in order to become that fun person that they wanted, that they always liked being, they also have to integrate that dark side of them that they've ignored and starved for so long. So I think that's what usually causes sevens to go down that road. Yeah, not using any names, of course, but do you have any like stories of sevens that you've worked with or known and can give us some specifics of what might it look like when you're noticing that a seven is not okay? What do you see? Yeah, yeah. There's a seven who had a father that was just really um, abusive and that seven would you know, the seven was always known as just like the party animal. Hey, let's just all have fun, everything like that. And everyone, and you know, the seven was in like a frat party, like like was like the top frat person, everything. And the seven started like using alcohol to numb themselves a lot of times. And just like, they were known to like drink the most and just have the most fun. And they brought the party. That's what they were known for doing. Like just bringing the party, like they, everybody knows that he has the alcohol and he knows how to drink the most alcohol. And it was getting in the way 
of his football career like he was you know trying to like you know be a great quarterback and everything like that and it was getting in his way and all of his friends eventually were like yo like something's not right with you and like or like you know uh, i think that what happened was there was a death in his family and he was refusing to like acknowledge the death like, oh yeah no it's fine it's fine and it's like you're going back to drinking like even more you need to stop and it's like no no no, it's cool guys like it's fine and he did try to stop at some point but then his other group of friends were like come on like why why are you avoiding drinking like you know that you're the party animal what are we gonna do without you man like you bring the party like you're not being as fun anymore and so then it's almost like his image of being the fun person was reliant on him taking drugs and so he had to like keep on going like back and forth with that and it took a while before finally like there was like an intervention that they're like hey like you know he was doing a project for school and he wanted to interview other people about their experiences with stuff but then eventually they kind of like flipped it <laughs> to like ask him personal questions like yeah so they would like talk about themselves and they'd be like but how about you and how do you relate? And they kind of like made it like a community thing. Like, how about you go into yourself? How did you deal with this? You know, and at first he didn't like it, but eventually he was able to work through it. And we pretty much found out that he had like the deepest story probably of like everybody else. And it's like, why, why were you hiding that from us? Like, this is how you create depth with people. Like, you know, and we understand maybe why you would run away from such thoughts and memories and everything but man like this makes us feel so much closer to you than when you were always just being the super fun alcoholic person that you were and yeah. So, yeah so i'm hearing that you could really see that this seven was afraid of sharing the part of themselves that wasn't fun that was yes. kind of a buzzkill and yes. so by running away from that there was really a barrier to intimacy and yes. when he was able to look inside of himself and actually name and give voice to these things, especially in community, there was mm -hmm. so much more connection. There was so much more care and that nourishment that mm -hmm. that seven was probably trying to get through drugs and alcohol was now actually able to happen in community. And I'm imagining that that was a really healing experience for that seven. Yes. 100%. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you <laughs> highlight how gluttony can be one of the things that's the passion of seven and gluttony can show up in a wide variety of ways when it's showing up in terms of drugs and alcohol. Obviously, that's one that people can definitely see that they're getting in trouble with. I think that depending on the wing, I think that when sevens have eight wings in particular, they mm. tend to put themselves sort of like above the law or above <laughs> rules, or they tend to be a little bit entitled. And so people can sometimes get a little irritated with them or actually come mm. to think that they're kind of jerks because they can laugh about it. They just kind of weasel away. I'm wondering if you've seen that in the seven structure. I have totally seen that. I didn't know that that was a thing when they had the eight wing, but you know, now that you've said that, I'm like, oh, that, that a lot of insights just clicked. I'm like, yep, that makes total sense <laughs> for these people that I know. Um, and eights exactly with seven wings. Yeah. Eight with mm. seven, seven with eight. I think they give themselves more permission than mm. any other type on the wheel when there's that combination there. So it's just wow. an interesting thing to look at. Yeah, makes total yeah. sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you get into typology? When did all this start for you? Um, true. Okay. So I was in college. I had an INFJ best friend that I've known ever since I was two years old. And then my now wife, but at the time girlfriend, ISFP, um, and they both knew their Myers-Briggs type, but they were trying to guess my type and they didn't know about cognitive functions or anything like that. They were just, you know, 16 personalities in a way. So they had me take the test. I got ESTJ the first time and all of us were like, nah, this doesn't sound like you. Mm -hmm. And so then the second time I took it, I got ESFJ. And I was like, okay, you know, maybe like 75% accurate, I guess. Like, that was cool. You know, I, I'm like, to me, it seemed like another which Disney princess are you kind of test, you know, mm -hmm. stuff like that. I didn't really care for it. Um, and then uh, later on down the line, 
my wife's older brother, he's an ISTP, and he was studying Myers-Briggs more in depth because he was doing screenwriting. He pretty much told her that, "Mm, no, I don't think that Denzel is an ESFJ. I think that he's actually an ENFJ. I did not know what these things were. And Jamila, she looked into ENFJ. She's like, oh my gosh. And so she's like telling me like, you have to read this. It is so you. I was honestly a little bit annoyed because I didn't really care for this. But when I read it, then it resonated so deeply and it explained so many aspects of who I am that some of them that I was even like, you know, low key, like ashamed of that. I was like, whoa. And then I was even more impressed with her older brother, Andy, having been able to figure me out better than an online test was able to. And me and him didn't know each other that well back then. But yeah, somehow he just knew. Um, and I was like, okay, I want to become as good as he is with that. And now I like took it and I ran with it. And <laughs> they're like, man, like the one time they even made a joke, like I've created a monster because <laughs> yeah, like I I just started like getting into personality hacker and all of this. Like I started reading books, like, you know, by like Otto Kroger and um, I read gifts deferring, you know, I was looking into Jung, like all of that. Um, at the beginning, I was just inhaling as much information as I could, all the articles. I was starting to, like pattern. I was in like all of these group chats. I was like trying to type everybody in my life <laughs> kind of thing. Um, I was looking at fictional characters. I was just really trying to gather all the patterning, um, to be able to understand and see the nuances of how each type show up. That's my favorite thing to see, like, wow, there's a hundred different ENTPs here and they, I can see how they're all using N-E-T-I-F-E-S-I, but in different ways. And the different ways that they use it is what makes them an individual. And I can see how like all the similarities, but I can also see the differences there too. Um, And yeah, I think that's like really cool. And then next thing you know, I was talking about it on my YouTube channel. People started asking questions. They actually really liked the stuff that I had to say. And then they're like, hey, can we like video chat? And I'm like, oh. (laughs) And then my wife's like, you know, you could probably like get certified in life coaching. Well, she actually just said that you could probably charge them to like video chat you. I was like, oh, wow. Like, you think that they would do that? And then lo and behold, they started doing that. And then eventually I got certified in life coaching. And slowly as I got like more matured and more experienced, then I started like raising the prices. And now that's what I do for full time. And how old are you, Denzel? I'm 28. Wow. So, I mean, that's pretty amazing because I'm just naming that because I'm 21 years older than you. So can you imagine when you've been doing this for another 21 years, everything that you'll learn and everything that you'll incorporate. And I think of where I was at 28, which was not on my growth path yet at all. And so when I'm seeing younger people that are stepping into that, it's just so inspiring for me. And It just feels like we all get that tap on the shoulder at whatever point in life the universe decides to invite us onto this path. And Mm -hmm. I just get really excited thinking about everything that you're going to do for the next 60 or 70 years in this world. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I'm hoping that I I used to always say legacy over likes because, and I think this is so nine of me, it's, it's hilarious, but, uh, I always pretty much said that I have this belief that I'm making content mainly for people in the future because it's just a pattern with people. You know, we don't have time for people until their time is up. And so I'm like, yeah, you know, the reality of the situation is no matter how quality my content might be or whatever right now, I'm only going to be getting a certain number of people consistently like viewing it but then you know god forbid like if i were to die then um that's when all of a sudden everyone you know we see it all the time it's like man who was that denzel mensa guy like let's go check out his channel and it's like whoa like he actually had some like really great stuff here like even these old videos where he was just recording from his ipad and it's not the best audio or like record or whatever like he was saying some really good stuff there and I just kind of like accepted in my mind that I have to think for the future, not right now. And I think that's also like very like ENFJ of me. It's like people are not, I mean, you know, I, I'm I'm pretty blessed right now. Like, I mean, shoot, I'm on this podcast, you know? So it's like somebody's listening, but I feel like 
when I really think about what I believe that I could offer the world, and I really am trying to do that, it's like, mm, like I can keep on trying, but at the end of the day, my favorite rapper, who I also believe is an ENFJ, or granted, I think that he's an Enneagram 3, uh, he has a, a verse where he said, to live a long life or die a young legend unfulfilled because while you're alive, you want to make an impact, but I mean, like, because you want to make an impact, but while you're alive, you never will. Something like that. Mm. Who Pretty is much it? Saying Who's that, your like, favorite rapper? Oh, J. Cole. Okay, cool. I want yeah, to check yeah. him out. Yeah. yeah. And he, he, yeah, like, and just hearing those words, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, it's so true. Like, when you die, then that's all of a sudden when everybody wants to, like, know more about you and everybody wants to, like, see what you had to offer the world. So it's almost like I'm making a time capsule so that. It's like, you know, if people aren't like liking my posts right now, you know, or, you know, if I'm not getting like all the views right now and everything like that, that's fine. Just make sure that it's quality, Denzel, so that that way in the future, either if somehow I blow up <laughs> and then everyone starts to go back and look at everything, make sure that they have something to look at that they know that they've been sleeping on, or in the future when I go to, to eternal sleep myself, not a nine joke, <laughs> Yeah. then they will have that to look at and actually be able to like it, like my content will live far beyond me. And it's not even going to be like about me, but it's like, I really just want to help people with the things that I come across and the things that I learned. So, mm, yeah. Thank you. You know, you're talking about this idea of legacy, which I've been thinking yes. a lot about lately. I think that that is a three thing actually. And I think that this is your nine healthy integration into point three. Because mm -hmm. I don't think that many of the nines that I meet are actually thinking about legacy. I think that nines tend to live smaller until they wake up, until they actually start connecting with their passion and their purpose and their mission. Mm -hmm. And then they integrate to that high side of three. And I think that when I think of the point three structure, even in the more average levels, what is it that's motivating us? I was actually having this conversation with another Enneagrammer friend and they said something about threes doing things for personal acclaim. Mm. And I sat with that a little bit and I'm like, hmm, is this for personal acclaim? And what came up for me was that, no, it's really more about creating a legacy. It's mm. about being connected with some type of work that actually was shifting the needle of consciousness in this mm. world into a more positive direction. And mm. yes, of course, I love that this is my contribution because while we are all part of this cosmic plan and none of us are particularly special, at the same time, we're all incredibly special. Mm. And the way that we do this work and the way that we bring it to the world and the people that will connect to the way that we try to teach, you know, this is why we need so many teachers. You and I are basically doing a similar thing, but mm. we have such a different style simply because we have different instinctual stacks, different Enneagram types, different cognitive preferences, different ages, different genders, different cultural backgrounds. There's just so many things that are going to make certain people just gravitate towards my words and learning the way that I do and certain people gravitate towards your words and learning the way that you do. And I think that the more heavenly messengers that we have running around on this planet, the higher the likelihood that the person that needs to hear that message in that moment and then find a teacher that they want to follow. Mm -hmm. I think that that's the gift that I'm hoping to give. And like you, I've been on a growth path now for about 13 years and I've had mm -hmm. an opportunity to do a lot of practice and a lot of learning. And the mm -hmm. reason that I decided a year ago to actually start this podcast and to take seven months off of work from being a traditional medical doctor to just mm. blow up website and develop keynote talks and curriculum was all because I recognized that healing of the heart and the mind was just as important, if not more important, as healing the body. Because mm. we all know that when we're emotionally unwell, when we're mentally unwell, when we're physically unwell it's really hard to be our best selves. And 100%. it's when we do our internal housekeeping in each of these domains that we can show up as this energetic being 
that literally emits light. And that's how it feels for me. And that's how it feels when I meet people like you and the others in the community that are taking this work so seriously. Yeah. Thank you for saying all of that. I actually, I, I fully agree with you. I think the only thing that always made, like, I know that it's my nine going to three. Um, I think the only thing is like, <laughs> the reason why I always saw it more as like a nine thing is because for me, it's a little bit of a cop-out. If I'm being honest, it's kind of like a, it's a, it's like a paradox. It's like, I have this belief that this perpetual belief that people don't find me interesting and perhaps I'm not very interesting that, oh, you know, like, and that's one of the things that like really highlighted, like, oh yeah, like I'm definitely a nine because I just constantly, you know, just think to myself that, oh, whatever I have, you know, like people aren't going to be interested in it. Like, and I had to learn to become interested in myself before then I could like, you know, because if you, if you can't even spend, if you don't even like spending time with yourself, then how do you expect other people to enjoy spending time with you? You know? So I really had to like tap into myself and start seeing myself as valuable before I could like, you know, start putting it out there. So it's almost like this, like making myself believe like not Denzel, like, no, this is valuable. And you know what? It's just because they, they like, this is just how the world is. They can't see it. But my natural inclination is to be like, honestly, maybe you're not really all that smart. And, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe you're not really like saying anything at all. And, you know, but if I lean into that, I'm not going to post anything. I'm not going to do anything. It's like, oh, you know, and that's my more natural inclination. So right. I have to fight against that like every day by kind of like telling myself, nah, you're, you're, you're this, you're that, yeah. like, now nah, what you're saying is this. And so it's, it's a little bit of an exchange there. It's like the nine moving to three a lot. So you're right. Like it is like more of like a three thing, but for me, I've always seen it as like starting with the nine because it's like, oh, you know, like legacy over like So, so then that would cause me to not self-promote as much because it's yeah. like, people aren't going to watch it anyway. So you know what? I'm just going to post it and that's good enough. And when I die, then they'll look at it. <laughs> yeah. Because if I post it online, then, you know, nobody's going to like it. Nobody's going to retweet it. You know, if I put it in this group chat, people are just like, oh, cool. And <laughs> and just uh, 20 minutes long, not worth my time, you know, whatever. So well, and yeah, we do live in like a, that's very nine. We do me. live in a saturated like content world. I mean, yeah, there are so many people talking about what we're talking about. So right. it really is just developing your own unique flavor around it and mm-hmm. then just trusting that when we are standing in our authentic power, when we're fully embodied, like we get from point nine, and when we can connect mm-hmm. with our own personal value, which is what comes from point three, and we have that mm-hmm. courage to really like step out there and do it, which is what comes from our point six, this is when mm-hmm. this triangle fully integrates. And I love the yeah. law of three. I love that when I can get all three of those aspects going, some embodiment, some value, some courage, it's like that's mm-hmm. where the fourth point rises up out of the triangle and it just catapults yeah. you to a new level that you didn't have access to before. And that's no, what encourages you to put that content out there saying, this has value to me. This yeah. matters to me. This was helpful to create because I'm just connected to the act of creation. I'm yeah. actually moving away from what the three, six, and nine are always doing, which is other referencing. Because right. I was going to just teach a little bit about the three, six, and nine are what we call the attachment types. Mm. I have episodes that Belinda Gore did where, for any listeners, we went into detail on what are the attachment types, what are the frustration types, and what are the rejection types. So three, six, and nine as attachment types, we are very concerned with what is the state of our attachment. And we actually, in some ways, have an attachment to disconnect because we can get so other referencing and so pulled into what others are wanting or thinking or their preferences Mm. that all of a sudden we have to like pull back and be like, oh, but wait, I'm also me. 
But then when we get yeah. a little bit too far, all of a sudden it's like we need to rubber band back in and then we kind of pull out and we rubber band back in. So part of being an attachment type is also navigating this journey, which I would call in the Myers-Briggs or cognitive function language, our balance between our FE and our FI. And I don't have this data, but my suspicion is that attachment types will tend to have FE in the top four and have Mm. FI somewhere in the unconscious. And the Mm. hexad types that are more fixed in their views and their beliefs, and it's like, this is so strong for me that I'm not flexing it, those tend to have FI higher up in consciousness Mm. and FE a little lower down. Now, of course, there are exceptions. But I think it's interesting just to see that as an ENFJ who leads with extroverted feeling, which just for the Enneagram community that doesn't know your Myers-Briggs functions, extroverted feeling is sometimes called harmony. Mm -hmm. And it's that ability to just sense what's going on in other people and really feeling this longing to manage what's going on in others in some way. That's sort of how I describe it. How do you describe extroverted feeling, Denzel, if you were to describe it to someone? Yeah, uh, I see extroverted feeling as an infinite desire for me. I guess I'll make it personal. For me, it's an infinite desire to foster intimacy and finding ways on how not only I can foster intimacy between myself and other people, but how other people can foster better intimacy amongst themselves. So it's like, it's always paying attention to the interpersonals, uh, to interpersonal dynamics, and how can we better the interpersonal dynamics? What are the strong points? What are the weak points? How can we strengthen the weak points? How can we how can we create a space here of trust where everybody trusts and love each loves each other enough to where they can then. Um, speak their TI truth and nobody's going to assign like bad intentions upon them or whatever. Instead, we can now calibrate what we think. It's like, whoa, Kara just said that really wild controversial thing, but we trust and believe and have the best and we believe the best intent for Kara that she can't help what she thinks. That's just where her math led her. So let's all collaboratively check her math to be like, hey, Kara, this is actually why we as a society have chosen not to, you know, believe in cannibalism <laughs> or not to, you know, whatever. Or, you know what, Cara, that actually might be a good idea. Maybe we should integrate polyamory more into our society just as an option, not for everybody to do. Like, that's that's a really good idea. Why have we always thought about it this way? Guys, let's let's rewrite this social structure, you know, whatever. So I see, yeah, I see FE more in like that kind of light. And then also, you know, I, you speaking about, you know, the other referencing thing, it just reminded me of something that I wrote like nearly six years ago. It was just literally like a stream of thought. It's called Sandboxes. I just pulled it up and I'll quickly like read through it. But I wrote that I have a paranoia of boring people, not as in a fear of people who will bore me, but more of a fear of others being bored by me or uninterested in the things I say or would like to discuss. Consequentially, I often prefer to go to other people's sandbox when we are at play, conversation, or anything along those lines. I prefer to learn all about your needs, desires, topics of interest, and overall what makes you happy. Then I adapt accordingly. I do this because I know that often, when it comes to it, I will genuinely be much more interested and natural at doing this than asking that of the other person. I wouldn't suffer in my mind and long to be asked about my own sandbox, even if so, not as much as the other person might. However, until the other person demonstrates on their own very like-minded things I have in my own sandbox and shows not only a consistent and genuine interest to visit and play in mine for once, my sandbox will always remain elusive, a mirage. I won't dare waste my time or theirs. Just a few thoughts I've had and discovered about myself that I thought I would share just because. So mm. I think back then I didn't even know that I was a nine, but like now I look back and to me, I think that's like, wow, that's very nine. And it goes right back. Like I started my YouTube channel because people in my real life were not interested in the stuff that I had to say or talk about. Me and too. so I was like, okay, 
<laughs> man well then that's that's very telling yeah so i was like you know what let me just you know start making these videos and as i make these videos then whoever wants to hear them nobody's holding a gun up to their head so they can listen to me talk for as long as they want or not listen to me talk and you know yeah and yeah so do you ever get unfavorable lot, yeah. comments on your content and how does your fe man navigate that or do you only get 100 percent positive reviews and comments well, for starters, there's always, I don't know if I'm being trolled, but there's always <laughs> two people who dislike everything that I post. Like, it's just consistently, <laughs> like, one or two who times there's been, off? like, three dislikes. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, can you at least, like, comment and tell me, like, what it is that I keep on doing in every video so that maybe I can consider changing that or, like, or at least I know, like, what the thing is? I don't know, but... I've seen other people like Joyce Meng, like they get like she gets like some very nasty comments at times and like Susan Storm. It's really sad. But for me, I've been kind of lucky. Maybe it's because I don't really have <laughs> as much of a I don't have as big of an audience as they do. And so yeah, but I've been pretty lucky. Like I've gotten some like bad comments, but I actually think that those are like kind of fun because I'm genuinely interested to see like why are they saying this? Like someone commented one time on a video of mine like it's so obvious that you're an esfj and i was like oh wow really like what makes you think that and they didn't respond back so it's like okay um and you know I've, I've received other things too it's like yeah you're definitely not an intuitive type because and they explain like all this stuff about like how like if you were an intuitive then you would talk more about being black and all this stuff and I'm, i just wanted to know what their math was so like to me I don't really take it personally. I just find it like interesting. I know that in, in another video, like me and my uh, friend Emrys, who's also an ENFJ, and a friend is an understatement. Me, me and him are like soul friends. You know, like we're very close. He's an ENFJ SX3, one of the most enchanting, charming people that you will ever meet in your entire life. Emrys, shout out to you if you're listening to this by any chance. Um, but me and him, we did a video on YouTube together like years ago, back when we were in college. And usually in my YouTube videos, I try to present more energetic because like then maybe what I actually am because, you know, it's like, hey, this is my channel. So I, I have to like bring the energy a little bit. And he's very sophisticated. You know, he's literally the type of person who eats, you know, Chick-fil-A fries with a fork <laughs> and <laughs> stuff like that. And it's like, OK, like, look at you. And he loves to dress very like well and he speaks, you know, like he he like really loves like, you know, eloquence and all of that. And, you know, like, so I like I was never really like insecure of being with him and everything. But I know underneath that video, there was like one or two people who like commented, not necessarily like mean things, but they were like kind of pitting us against each other. Like, oh, you need to be a little bit more like Emrys Denzel. Like, look at him. He's like this. And for a moment that did get to me like, huh. Because I just wanted to post a video, like, you know, like talking about the ENFJ type and like sh showing off Emrys and there was no competition there. But then for a moment I was like, oh shoot, like people on my own channel, like trying to like say like, he's a better ENFJ or whatever. But then I immediately caught that. And I was like, this is stupid. I'm me. I'm dope as I am. And he's dope as he is. And that was years ago. And I'm so glad to like see now, like we've both become our respective people. And I don't look at him like as man i need to become more like you and i hope that he also doesn't do the same thing for me it's like we're just different people but yeah that's something that i like those are the kind of comments that i've like received in the past uh you know now nines but, are like inherently inoffensive i would say that's like a nine superpower is it's like <laughs> if you had to say of all the types on the wheel people don't necessarily like nines are mostly annoying if you're in a deep intimate relationship with them because sometimes they disappear when you want them mm. to be present and conscious. But I would mm. say like out on the street, nines are typically like not creating a lot of trouble. Now mm. ENFJs, I think that, yeah, like just comment on that. What would an annoying ENFJ look like? <laughs> Have you well, ever met an ENFJ that's annoying? And do you see any of those annoying characteristics inside of yourself at all? Like how have you yeah. worked with that? And yeah, what's what's an annoying ENFJ look like? I think that annoying ENFJs are very meddling, mm -hmm. you know, like they want to know everybody's business and they overexert, they overstep where they should. Like, 
I have a God complex and I always openly admit that. Like I definitely admit that I often believe that I know what's best for people, oftentimes even better than they know for themselves. And I can't help that that's what I think. <laughs> it's like, and this is why you thought you were a two, because twos yeah. are meddlesome and mm-hmm. twos, like when they're not healthy, you know, or where they're right, average, right, right. you know, they're meddlesome. They want to be in everybody else's business. Like, yeah. yeah. So, but describe why you're not a two. What were you not vibing with about the point two structure? For that, sure. you know, even as an ENFJ, a lot of people who lead with FE are twos. I think right, that that's a exactly. very common thing. Yes. So, yeah, why are you how it's an interesting a meddling extroverted nine. That's such <laughs> an interesting flavor, huh? Well, that's the thing. I actually don't think that I'm meddling. So that's one so that's like one of the things. I think that is it's like I have a god complex, but I have it in my head. Like uh-huh. it's more like an ex like I'll look at people and how they're like conducting certain like leadership things that like and I'll just be like oh, that's not how I would do it. And or that's like, your one oh, way. Yeah, that's there you the go. One, I guess yeah, so. Exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. and I'm just like, <laughs> no, you, you shouldn't have said that in this tone. Ugh, you're just prolonging this conflict, and it's like, and then something in me is like, so why don't you go and help out? And it's like, no, let's. My growth process, in my opinion, has been like I've always been the driver. So let's let let's see other people drive and take leadership and do things themselves, and then you know you can begin to understand like, hey, maybe they don't all do it the same way that you would, but they're still getting from point A to point B. So therefore, you don't have to like always be in control or whatever. And that's been like very helpful for me. So I've like allowed myself to like, hey, even though I think I know what's best for you or whatever, uh, I'm not going to like throw it on you unless if you ask me. And I'm not going to like, you know, I'm not really going to like meddle in that way. I do like, but I still like to know information because it's that information that informs me how to make the proper decisions. Like the more that I know about who is into who and who's not into who and all of that quote unquote gossip, then the better I'm going to be able to lead these people because I know the interpersonal dynamics. So to answer your question more directly about how I know that I'm not a two, it was two major things. Number one, back then I didn't know about arrow movement. So when it when they talked about like like one person like asked me, they're like, well, do you have arrow movement to eight? And I was like, oh no, like, <laughs> like I viscerally reacted like eight, that's disgusting. I'm, I am so Zen. I am so like, it is incredibly hard to trigger me. Like very, like you we were talking about the non-offensive thing for me, even I go by the idea and I've come to realize that not everybody else does, but I do believe that being offended is a choice. Like I don't viscerally feel emotions in me. Unless if it's like that much, like it's like somebody can say something like somebody just literally asked me yesterday an INFP social for a friend of mine. Um, she was like, yeah, so like when you're upset, like, do you feel it or do you just know that you're upset or th- do you just know that you're upset? Because for me, like I viscerally like feel it like in my body. And I was like, yeah, I very rarely get to that point unless if it's like built up. So for me, that was like one of the things like I, I was like, oh, no, like I don't have that two movement to eight where it's like, I've been helping you guys all the time and you guys don't like just blowing up on people um, because I've been doing so much for them. Also, I personally don't really like doing a lot of stuff for people. (laughs) Like when I talk to Enneagram (laughs) twos, then like I have like Enneagram two friends who have told me like, like though they like to like kind of like brag like, oh, like I do all this stuff for people. I'm the person they all go to and everything like that. And boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, and if you could help it, would you like, would you want that to stop? Yeah, it's exhausting. And then they're like, right? yeah, it's exhausting. And, yeah. and then they're, they were like, no. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, because for me, yeah, not that I don't like helping people, but I like to connect intimately with people more. It's like, yeah, I will always help people for sure. But it's like, okay, now that I've helped you, let's get back to getting like intimate and deep with each other. <laughs> I'm not, and you know, and if other, if somebody else has been able to help you, oh, that's great. You know, as long as they've helped you well. Whereas like my Enneagram two friends, they said like, no, I actually don't like it when somebody goes to somebody else. I want them to come to me. But I'm like, but aren't you exhausted by them coming to you? They're like, well, yeah, but like, I guess that's where like the pride comes in. So it's like, oh yeah, I don't relate to that. And the last thing, which is the biggest thing is that I know that Enneagram twos 
they have problems with feeling loved. I've never had that problem. I always know and feel loved, but I don't always feel seen, if that makes sense. Or I don't feel loved the correct way. It's Mm -hmm. kind of like, oh, you know, like, yeah, everyone loves DZ or everyone likes DZ. Everyone knows DZ. But it's like, okay, but who's actually getting to know me? Like, who's actually, like, investing in me and being consistent and actually, like, trying to get deep with me? Who's That's inviting what me I'm on really their like. podcast to ask about all the deep things I care about, There you right? go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who cares about, yeah, like, what's really going on? I know that y'all love me. Ah, thanks for showing up to the birthday party, even though you left, you know, way, like, hours earlier so that you can go and do homework. There's, I guess, the passive-aggressive nine coming out, like, to go and, quote-unquote, do homework, even though you knew about this months in advance, (laughs) and you didn't even respond to the group message about the birthday party or whatever until, like, a day or two before or whatever. It's like, so it's like, I don't know, just stuff like that. It's like, if me, if I really loved you, I would, like carve out that time i would like be more this way and i know that again like you care about me you love me but the way that you show it is interesting but yeah. it's like you know what maybe if if you're not if like my whole thing has been like if i'm not uh receiving that it's most likely because i'm not showing up and yeah. the, and so it's like okay i have to do my part and put myself out there more so that now it's like okay you are doing all that you can, Denzel. And look, these people just aren't really doing that. So now you can just clean your hands and be like, see, you know, they just don't care in that way. But you are still loved though. Whereas like, I feel like with the twos, like they actually feel like nobody loves them. I could be wrong, but yeah. Yeah. So here's a question though. So what if you have a friend who's a self-pres dom, who's an F.E. tertiary, who just doesn't (laughs) really like parties, but likes you? And it's like the fact that I'm coming to a party at all is an expression of love. And I've probably got like three or four hours of juice in me, but I also have to make sure that I go to bed by 10. Would you be able to feel loved in that context? And would you, you know, or like how much out of somebody's comfort zone? Because I'm imagining as an Effie Dom who could like stay at parties forever and as a self-pressed tertiary (laughs) who could stay up till 4 a.m. doing something. (laughs) That it would be harder to imagine that that would be like really painful for somebody else. So how is it for you? Like when you kind of consider these other things that make people make decisions, because what I'm hearing is that what's beautiful for an FE Dom and maybe a nine is to say, I feel seen and I feel like I matter when you make yourself uncomfortable for me a little bit, like you go like outside Mm -hmm. of what your habitual preferences would be because for me it's staying at my birthday party for I don't know how many hours or engaging in whatever kind of way like if the person I mean imagine they're a five or they're an introvert and they're just really getting drained by the experience do you have different expectations for different friends are you like it's my birthday this is how long I want everybody here this is exactly what I'm doing and you guys just all like suck it up or you're not my real friend (laughs) (laughs) definitely not the last one in the slightest and as a matter of fact so i'll 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 address it like this let's see how can i do this in a smooth manner okay number one (laughs) or you can bring ti out and just not do it smoothly (laughs) (laughs) well i'm definitely bringing ti out right now um number one i'm like yes so i guess technically yes you're right i am capable of doing what you said like last night as i told you i was out till 4 a.m I was not even expecting that happening. You know, me, my wife, and my housemates, like my housemates, they always do this thing for like UFC fights where they go over to a friend's house uh, or they're like one of the housemates' brother's house and they stay there like for hours, you know, like drinking and like, you know, playing poker, whatever, whatever. Um, And for like yesterday was the first time they invited us like on the day of. And my wife and I were like, okay, yeah, sure. And we had never been before. So, by the time, like, like we got there, like, around, like, you know, 6.30-ish or whatever. But by, like, 9.30, 10 o'clock, I was pretty checked out. <laughs> I was already done. <laughs> like, I was very ready to go So how'd home. you end My up there wife. till 4 a.m.? Because I didn't drive. <laughs> ah, so you didn't have a way. Well, see, I would take an Uber. Yeah, I'm not. You have money. <laughs> <laughs> 
45 minute drive. I will just suffer, not suffer. Cause you know, I wasn't suffering. I just, I just wasn't engaging anymore, but I still had a smile on my face so that people wouldn't like feel like, Oh, he's just like who, like, you know, like, Oh, we're never bringing him again. You know what I mean? Like, I was just, I was just cool. I was just in the background. But I was this just, is like, what's interesting. If people. it was forty-five minutes away, because yeah, I probably wouldn't pay for that Uber. Um, that would be expensive. But I would have negotiated with my partner exactly how long we were staying and exactly what time they would be getting me home for bed ahead of time, so that I knew that my self-pres need would be met. And if they wanted to like stay longer, I would have that all negotiated ahead of time, so that I had a ride, they had a ride, or somebody was staying overnight, I'd pick them up tomorrow. Like as a self-pres dom, mm-hmm. I always know my exit strategy. Yeah. I think for me, I don't really need that because I guess kind of like what you're saying, I can just kind of like suck it up. Like uh-huh. I'm like, ah, oh, you know what? Like it is what it is. As a matter of fact, the guy who drove us, he spent the night because he got hammered. ESTP preferences and a seven. <laughs> and he literally just pulled up. So yeah, but we went with our other roommate, like home and everything. And, you know, I also, it's probably just because of who I am. I didn't want to be that person that's like, all right, well, my wife and I were leaving. And then, you know, it's just going to be very obvious. Like, we're the newest members of this shindig. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's going to immediately give the message that, oh yeah, see, they didn't really enjoy this. They didn't really like this. And, you know, I just wouldn't want it to be that way. And it's like, I did enjoy it. My, and I didn't have to, like, engage, you know? So even though I was, like, over it, mm-hmm. I, like, I wasn't suffering. You'd probably be suffering more than I was. My whole thing was, I got to, like, you know, I just sat in the background. Like, I yeah. just, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't like, you know, For me, talking. I could be horizontal in my bed asleep. Or otherwise, yeah. I wouldn't enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, for me. And actually, my wife, she did just sleep on the couch. <laughs> like, she she totally just went to bed on the couch. But, like, for me, I was just sitting. I was also, like, you know, I, I, I consider myself to be an alchemist. So, I like to, you know, an alchemist is somebody who makes everyday metals into mm-hmm. gold. You know, it's, like, very, like, common metals and stuff like that. So, for me, I try to, like, actually make the best of every situation. So, I was, like, okay, I'm here. So how can I turn all of these metals, all of this lead and everything into gold? And so from that, I was like, okay, well, I've always wanted to learn how to play poker. There's a poker game literally going on right now. So I'm going to do that. I also want to learn more about the, you know, people that I live with. So I was watching, I was like very much in the background. I was just watching how they were all interacting with each other. I was like, you know, making like inferences and stuff like that. And I knew that they were also tired. We're going to go home. Like right now I'm on this podcast. I'm fine. I got to sleep in. So it's like, yeah, did I really have to leave that early? No, I'm good because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, like I, I I didn't die. I made it through. So it wasn't there's, really like that big of a deal. So there's a fun, a ton of funny things coming up for me. This is once again, for anybody who likes the Holderness family, have you ever seen these videos, Denzel? It's, no, it's more I'm of a Gen X thing. Okay. I am uh, going to send, and I'm going to put in the show notes, the Holderness yeah. video of me in my 20s and me in mm-hmm. my 40s. And mm-hmm. this woman, she's a one married to a seven. They were both news broadcasters. They have a performative element. I find them to be hysterical. My kids think they're lame. They're very Gen X. So, I mean, mm-hmm. the the Gen X people vibe with them. But she okay. does this bit of me in my 20s and me in my 40s. And, you know, the 20s, like, yeah, you're 28 totally out, like party, like whatever. I can stay up till four. I can sleep wherever on any couch, blah, blah, blah. She's like in my forties. She's like, shows her the next morning. She's like, oh, I had two glasses of wine. I'm going to be hung over for days. And like, literally <laughs> like that's what happens. So I mm-hmm. think that this is just a interesting thing to hear um, as we start our community and we get to have listeners sort of comment on these different things that we're bringing up and figuring yeah. out is this just a Denzel thing or a Kara thing? Is this right, a social right. dom thing with self-pressed right. blind? Or is this right. a self-pressed dominant thing, sexual right. blind? Because, you know, mm. you're also going to get a little bit more off of the juice of an environment. Yeah, Whereas for, sure. for me, I'm like, ooh, it has to be really juicy to like yeah. overcome my self-pressed needs. And yeah. also as you get older, you know, I have this body that wakes up at 6 a.m. every single day, regardless of what time I go to bed. So if I go to bed at four, now that means I only got two hours of sleep and I don't nap. And so I won't be able to sleep until that night and my entire day is shot. 
and, and that's you can't just you how can't go back to sleep after you I wake cannot. up at six a.m. I cannot. Mm. Nope. Yeah, nope. that's rough. I'm <laughs> not rough. looking forward to those days because yeah, if I wake up, I wake up pretty like early. Like my body just wakes up at like seven thirty ish a.m. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and I look at the time. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm going back to sleep yeah. <laughs> if I have the time to. Um, well, actually, so, yeah, I usually fall asleep every night by about nine o'clock, but then I wake too. up at like one a.m. Mm. and I'm just like. I'll wake. That's when I return all my text Dang. messages. That's mm. when I do some reading and then I go mm. back to sleep and then I'm up at six. So it's sense. like, yeah. And you know, when you okay. talk to middle-aged women, we all make mm. jokes that we should have some like book group that meets at sometime between like <laughs> one and 3 a.m. because we're all awake. So wow. yeah, it, it's just interesting to just learn these different things about how people's inner worlds are working. Yeah, that is interesting. And I also wanted to um, address some of the other things that you had said earlier. Uh, so the other part of the weaving that I was going to say. Yeah, please. Was that you asked the question about like, what if I hypothetically uh-huh. had a self-preservation <laughs> dominant friend who was tertiary FE and all of the things like came to the party for like four hours or whatever, whatever, even though it was like a whole day event. I didn't plan the party, by the way. My self-preservation social Enneagram for ISFP wife did. Um, I didn't know about the party. But, you know, anyway. Number one, I most definitely know, like I have different standards for every single friend of mine. I have a quote unquote hierarchy, I guess, if you call Mm -hmm. it. Like, you know, I have like the goddess at the top and then I have intimates and then I have best friends and I have friends and then I have acquaintances and then I have strangers. (laughs) So it's like all of them have different expectations. And even within those quote unquote hierarchies, there's still different expectations. Like I'm not going to expect like my friend Lauren to stay up past 10 30 because not be and i won't believe this oh she doesn't love me or anything like that i just know like I, like she doesn't she stays up like she she usually tries to sleep kind of like you like and my thing is that because i already know this about her then it's like okay cool well i'm going to i'm not going to hold you to the standard you know like i have a different standard for her and i don't want people Because you asked like, oh, do I gauge how much somebody like might love me or whatever by how far they go out of their way for me? I appreciate the gesture, but I actually hate that personally. Like, because you want it to be genuine, right? Like they want to be there that long. Yeah. And I wouldn't even say that genuine is the word because I think that their efforts to do that is genuine because they love me. Mm -hmm. But I want it to be natural. I think that's more of the word I'm looking for. I want them like... If Lauren doesn't stay up past like 9.30 on a regular, I don't want her to try and force herself to stay up till 1 a.m. with me. Like, no, like we can we can make use with what we have. And I'm just going to appreciate that. Now, when like it was several people who were leaving early, these people are party animals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like like, wait, why aren't you at my party? What party is better than this? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, and it's my birthday. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's like three p.m. right now, my guy. Like, what what do you mean that you totally? And it's it's Saturday. Like, what do you mean? Like, oh yeah, I have to go and do homework, and another person like yeah, and I have to go grocery shopping, and it's like okay. And I was like okay, fine, but it was my wife, if anything, who got upset and was like, like she pulled me aside and she was like. Denzel, I planned this three months ago and they all like knew. And it's like, and now I was like, yeah, you know, and your I wife is, is a four, of... right? Yeah. She, yeah. she literally so she told was me, she's like, feeling it. Yeah. I mean, emotional furious. realness here. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. She was like, do you want me to cry now or later? I was very confused because to me as a nine, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, this makes sense. Like, of course they're going to leave right now. Like, at least they came for a little bit. I'm very much more of a person like, well, I'm glad that they came you know, for the, like already, like, you know, whatever, like, but she was the one who kind of pointed out to me, like, Denzel, do you know how much you do for all of these people and how much like you're always there for them in these ways. And I watch you, like you lose sleep when they call you because their boyfriend broke up with them or because they need help with this struggle that they're having, or this is that. And they can't even spend a day with you because they have to go to do this and do that. And I'm like, Oh, I guess I do do these things for these people, huh? Oh, wow. I didn't know that you told them like three months in advance. Dang. And really nobody responded to that group chat until like just a week ago. And, you know, oh, maybe they just needed to get their plans together, you know, and 
Some so she never helped even... you get in contact with that rage that point nine's gotten there mm, that, for you know, sure. you kind of have to get led to it. So, yeah. 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 And so, yeah, all of that to and say. And then you get like, to yeah, practice I, I, with it. Yeah. How do I handle yeah. the fact that now I'm pissed? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I yeah. don't get pissed that often. I'm a nine. Oh, wait, exactly. here's anger. Awesome. I go get to practice anger. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah, like all that to say that, like, I think a really big thing for me, though, is is it's like the whole sandbox thing. Like, I don't want somebody to try to, like, come into my sandbox if it's like, I don't really care about what's in your sandbox, Denzel, but because I love you, then for you, I'll come in. Like I said, I, I appreciate the gesture, but like, no. And, you know, you and I were t- texting about this, like, kind of like the other day. I mean, this is your podcast, so... <laughs> I, I've heard your other podcasts, so I will use a little bit of TMI, but like, yeah, when I was like dating people in the past and everything, uh, one of the things that I said, like that, that, this is just a very big thing for me. is like, oh, like I would ask them sometimes, like, are you the type of person who like loves giving head? Like, because like you just genuinely enjoy it or are you like, well, you know, my partner kind of like you know, if, if my partner enjoys oral, then it's like, okay, I'll do it for them, but it's not really like my thing. If you're more of the latter, I honestly, like, I appreciate the gesture, but I would not prefer head because we, we have, there's a whole other arsenal of things that we could equally enjoy. You know what I mean? So I appreciate that you would still give me oral sex or whatever like that. That's cool. But no, I don't want you to. And I'd prefer that you don't because you're not enjoying it the same way that I would be enjoying it. I want us to enjoy everything that we're doing together, like, you know, whatever. And if we just don't have that many things, then we just don't connect. And therefore, let's just not invest in each other. <laughs> that's kind of how I see it. So that's what I meant by like natural, because there that person's proclivity to um to give me the oral sex or whatever would be genuine. But genuineness is not enough for me. I want it to be natural. I want it to be something that you you actually desire to do within yourself. Yeah. And if you don't have that desire, then you can't help that you don't have that desire. And I can't force you to have that desire. And I wouldn't want to force you to have that desire. So let's just find something else that we can connect on. But so yeah, no, I'm I'm, I don't measure is- it by how much you go out of your comfort zone for me. Absolutely not. I just measure it by like how much what we have in common, how much do you invest in those things? Totally. That's creating intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for flushing all of that out because, you know, when you first talk about the birthday party thing, there's so many different ways that you can hear that and to Mm -hmm. actually get under the hood and hear how is my social instinct, you know, playing with my nineness with my, you know, extroverted feeling and, you know, how is this all pulling together and how does mm-hmm. that show up for me in my relationships? What I'm hearing yeah. is that there's this huge well of compassion where yeah. really you're about connecting with people in ways that are truly genuine, that are yeah. truly meeting needs for mutuality, that are mm-hmm. life-serving for both parties. And I mm-hmm. think that this is why we really want to work together. And yeah. you know, I love that you went out there on a limb and even shared something juicy and personal like that, because (laughs) this is what we want to be able to talk about with couples too. You know, um, all relationships tend to have something to do. The problems, the places we get stuck are about Mm -hmm. either sex, power, or money. Mm -hmm. So I think that this is going to be really interesting because Mm -hmm. as Denzel and I start working, we really want to be able to openly talk about, well, what's not working in the bedroom? We really Mm -hmm. want to be openly able to talk about well, what role is money playing in this relationship? Who's making it? How do you feel mm-hmm. about that? How do we have mm-hmm. these roles that we're playing? Because especially as we move into an era where gender is more fluid and mm-hmm. we aren't having as many traditional structures, I think that money is very interesting to talk about. And then mm-hmm. power. Who has the power in what context? And if any of these domains start to develop blockages in them, there's going to be mm-hmm. trouble in the relationship. Exactly. So, yeah. So, I mean, I know that we're at the top of the hour here, and I know this is just our first time that we're getting to <laughs> explore things, but thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today and letting everybody get a sense of your personality and the flavor that you bring. And I'm just so excited for us to start this project together. So if you're excited too, please reach out. Contact information will be in the show notes. Any last words, Denzel? Yeah, just thank you for having me. Like, this has really been 
exciting. I'm looking forward to more of the other conversations that we'll be having with other people and even amongst ourselves, like, you know, on more of these kinds of like episodes, you're always, (laughs) you're always very riveting to speak to. Um, And I'm sure that, you know, as time goes on, people will, will get more of a sense of our dynamic in that way. Like, Car is amazing in so many different ways, and I'm excited for that. But um, for anyone who might desire coaching from me, or you know, to chop it up or whatever, um, my website is denzelmensa.com. So that's D-E-N-Z-E-L-M-E-N-S-A-H.com, and my YouTube is also just denzelmensa. So D-E-N-Z-E-L and then M-E-N-S-A-H. If you search either of those up, then you'll find me. Yeah. Uh, I'm just glad to be here. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much. So Denzel, I also know that you put together a video that sort of shows us these four different sides of your personality that are showing up in your cognitive structures. I Mm. think that that would be really cool for viewers to both see what is the different characters and parts of Denzel that are making you who you are. Would it be okay if we put that in the show notes so people could have some fun and see your creativity too? Well, right now it's unlisted. I haven't made it public yet. And I was even wondering if I should make it public or not. Like, I don't know. That was kind of funny, but uh, I will think about it. Well, you can it. think about it. This is yes. on the end of the podcast and we can yes, have this yes, bit yes, yes, or yes. not. So we'll go ahead and do a close. <laughs> Denzel, thank you so much for being here. I look forward for to sure. everything we're going to be creating Thank you for having together. me once again. If you're enjoying these episodes, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and various Android platforms. If you leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, it helps a lot. If you have any questions you'd like addressed in a future episode, please email me at social at I also offer a wide variety of services at my practice, including typology, Enneagram coaching, nonviolent communication training, and mindfulness trainings for working with stress, anxiety, and food cravings. Please visit my website at karenancemd.com to schedule a free 30-minute consultation if you'd like to work with me in any way. We also have the opportunity for free classes. 